some of you that are here today, even if it's just for one of you, I don't think it is, but I would, I would preach this with all my heart, even if it was. But I think there's more than one of you that need this word. Here's the word. Don't go back. Don't go back. I believe that there are some of you who are coming up against pressures or stressors, circumstances, things that, that, that you feel like there's nowhere else to go but back. And, and God has taken you too far and has done too much in your life for you to go back from here. Write it down this way, maybe in your notes. Check this out. The enemy. The enemy battles the hardest when you're at the border of your breakthrough. Like there is something that God is about to do if you can just, if you don't go back. I love that the, the Bible's not just a history book. You know that? The Bible uses history to teach theology. It uses a body of water to get every one of us thinking like in our own life, where is it that I feel like I got nowhere else to go? I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how we're gonna make it. I don't know how we're gonna survive this. The Red Sea is what stands between you and your freedom. The Red Sea is the wall that you hit after you thought you knew where you were going. And you found yourself there at a, at a dead end. The Red Sea is the dead end that immobilizes you just long enough for your past to come back and haunt you. That's what the Red Sea is. The Bible says that Pharaoh heard that these Israelites took this route that brought them to the Red Sea, that they were coming to this dead end. So he decides, ah, here's, the, here's, here's my opportunity to come get them back. So he chases them down to the place of their dead end to bring them back again into bondage and into slavery. Let's pick it up at Exodus chapter 14. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were those Egyptians that they just were delivered from, man. They came from those shackles. They came from the bondage. And here it is again, tempting me again, coming back again, marching after them. And they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. Look what they said to Moses. Check this out. <laughs> they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? They are barely out of Egypt. And this is the first real immovable object that they come up against. And, and they're blaming people. They're blaming Moses. They're, they're shifting responsibility. The first thing they want to do, the first obstacle they face, they want to return back to the very thing that wasn't even working for them in the first place. See, I think that a lot of us, when we think of this Red Sea moment in the, in the Bible, we think of like, like, oh, that was a place of faith. That was a place of the miracle. That was a place of, 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 of breakthrough and victory. See, I think we have this idea of what great faith looks like, but I want you to see that the path to great faith often looks like a struggle through fear. They were terrified at what was happening. And they go, didn't we say, look what he says. It goes on. He said, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. They never said that. They're making stuff up now. They're making stuff. I don't know if you've ever done that, where you got to a place where you start glamorizing where you came from in your past, and you start making stuff up. They're like, oh, didn't we tell you this? You go read it. Read it for yourself. All in Exodus. They never said this. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die there in the desert. I wonder who today is glamorizing their Egypt because the wall you hit, the pressure you're against. I wonder who today is guilty of over-exaggerating 
romanticizing or even misrepresenting the Egypt in the past that you have come from. Some of you are glamorizing a life before marriage against the one who God has called you to, but you're just choosing to leave out the loneliness and what the emptiness drove you to. Some of you are, are like, because of the moment of stress and fear, you're forgetting what alcohol did to your dad and what it did to you. And you are glamorizing a past that broke you, that hurt you, that robbed from you. And don't get proud, like, oh, I'll never act like these Israelites choosing to go back to slavery when every time you get stressed out, you turn right back to the bondage of pornography, convincing yourself that it is like relief in your shadow of the Red Sea. Am I coming at you too strong today? Are you ready for this, y'all? Here, I'm telling you today, listen, don't turn back. You're at the border of a breakthrough. Don't, don't turn back. And I want to make sure that no one takes a message like today and mis kind of interprets what their Egypt is and what their Pharaoh is. Sometimes in a message like this, it can be really easy for us to just miss the context of it. And you start running from things that actually God has called you to. You're like, you're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, and, and you're, you're saying something is a pharaoh and an Egypt when it ain't. So let me give you what Egypt represents because you cannot, like, misapply what I'm trying to tell you today. Here's what Egypt represents. Egypt represents, write it down, it represents their bondage. So it represents the chains that held you down, the sin that you were in. It represents what, what you were in when you weren't free. The peace that was lacking, it represents the generational slavery, the generational bondage, the, the generational cycles that you had, like of, of poverty or of sin or of substance abuse. That's what Egypt represents. It represents our bondage. Here's the second thing it represents. It not only represents the bondage, but it also represents their old way of life, like what you got used to what you got accustomed to, what you got comfortable with, even though it was unhealthy, maybe even unproductive, possibly even destructive, it's what you knew. It's what your parents did. It's what their parents did. It's just the way, it, it, it's just the way of life. Here's the third thing Egypt represents. It represents what they relied on. So this is how they got by. This is just what we did, right? It's just, even if it was like a little bit unproductive, maybe even destructive, it's just what we did. It's just like, it's how we survived. It's what we had to do. But now, check this out. Now, what was holding them down and what they relied on was now chasing them down. And when you hit the Red Sea, let me show you the temptation. Check this out. When you hit the Red Sea, the temptation for us is to go back or go around, but God is calling us through. See, God didn't move the Red Sea. He called them through the Red Sea. I know you'd love for God to remove your barriers and your obstacles, but God doesn't always remove the problem. He doesn't always remove the people that you, that you think he needs to remove from your life. He doesn't always remove those things. He won't always remove it, but I tell you, oftentimes he calls you through it. Don't go back, somebody. Don't go back. Okay, don't, don't go back to that thing. Listen to me. They walked through something they thought was impossible to walk through. Some of you are up against things that now you are tempting and glamorizing where you came from because you don't see how you're going to get through. But God is, the, the, the impossible is possible with God. And he's calling you to walk through it. Don't turn back. And look, and don't look for the shortcut either. Because sometimes, maybe some of you won't go back. You're like, I ain't going back there, but let me just find a quicker way for this thing. Can I, just, can I just make this happen quicker or shorter? In fact, when, they were, when Moses was leading them out of Egypt, there was a quicker route to the promised land where he was taking them. You know what I'm saying? There was. 
Let me, let me show it to you. In Exodus chapter 13, the Bible says this, that when Pharaoh let the people go so the 10 plagues happened, God, look at this, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was a shorter path to the promised land. I don't know if you've ever got to a place in your life where you look back and you go, why do I have to take this route, God? Like, this could have been so much easier, so much faster. Like, why did it have to be like this? God actually answers. Check this out. Look what it says. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Like, like God knew what was really inside of them. Like, he took them intentionally, intentionally the long route because he knew that if he were to take them the short route, they weren't ready for that battle. Okay, look what he says. So God, so God led the people around by a desert place. So you've had to go through some desert places. You've had to take what you thought were detours. You had to thought, you, you took what you thought was the longer route, but God was actually preparing you and sparing you for something he would, like he was, he was, it was his protection, not his punishment. So, so God led the people around the desert toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went out of Egypt, look what it says, ready for battle. Some of you have been trying to figure out, why am I going through this? Like, why has this got to happen to me? This could have been so easier, God. This could have been, like, why? And God is saying, the reason why he took you the route of the Red Sea was because there were some things that if they were not drowned before you went across, you would be defeated by them when you got there. Are you seeing this, you guys? They were, the Bible says the Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. Sometimes you think you're ready, but only God knows when you're ready. They were, <laughs> so I'm ready, God. Some of you are like, I'm ready, I'm ready, God. I'm ready for better. I'm ready for more. I'm ready for promotion. I'm ready for influence. I'm ready. Are you really, are you really ready for more responsibility? Like, are you really ready? Because only God knows when you are really ready. They were ready for battle. They were dressed for it, but they weren't ready for it. They look like they're ready. Man, they had their armor on. I don't know what they have. They had some equipment on. They look like they're ready. They were dressed for battle, but they weren't ready for battle. They were looking like they were ready. They were dressed like they were ready. They were posting like they were ready. They were hashtagging ready for more promotion. But only God knows when you're really ready. See, write this down. They were ready for the promised land, but they weren't ready for the Red Sea. See, when, you, when God brought you out, you thought that it was just a straight line to the promised land. It was a straight line to your advancement and your promotion. You didn't know that God actually had to take you through some desert seasons. God ha actually had to bring you through some crisis and challenges and difficulties that you thought there was no way out of. You thought you were ready, but you were ready for the promise. You weren't ready for the battle. And God takes you to the place of a Red Sea to get you ready. So Moses, Moses answers the people. They're complaining to him and shifting blame and everything. And in Exodus chapter 14 continues. It says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Come on, will you say that out loud me? One, two, three. Stand firm. I love that. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 6 where, where Paul is talking about the, the armor of God. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's full armor so that you can stand firm. Firm against the enemy. 
He said, for you don't battle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and heavenly places. Stand firm. Don't go back. Stand firm. Don't retreat. God has taken you too far and done too much for you to go back and glamorize where he took you from. Don't go back. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he's going to bring you today. Look what he says, and I'm telling you, oh, someone's got some faith to receive this. Check this out. He says, the Egyptians you see today you will never see again. So the things that have been cycle, cyclical for you, the things that, that you would get up to dead ends and, and, and stress and, and circumstances, and it would take you back to the bondage. It would take you back to your past. It would take you back to the cycle. It would take you back to your sin. It would take you back to that place. God says the barrier that you're at is not a barrier for you to go back. It's a barrier for you to break through. And on the other side of this is your freedom. That those Egyptians chasing you, tempting you, on the other side of this is freedom. If you don't go back, if you stand firm, if you don't go back, these Egyptians you see today, will, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Ain't that a beautiful promise? Come on, somebody. God will fight for you. And then he says this, you need only to be still. I'm picturing the, the Israelites full of terror fear these chariots these outnumbered they're outmanned they're out like tool they got all kinds of and looking at that and see the, the fear and so Moses God's God's gonna fight for you be still and I think he means the stillness of your soul of your mind of your heart so he's partially right he's partially right but not fully right because at the very next breath God corrects Moses kind of check this out look what God's uh, God's like he'll fight for you God's gonna fight for you just be still and then and then the Lord said to Moses why are you crying out to me tell the Israelites move on like get get going quit crying about it quit complaining about it like, I called you to go through that thing, and I don't care, listen to me, I don't care if you got faith to believe that God is going to fight for you, or you got fear of what you are facing. Listen, the miracle, the miracle, write this down, the miracle isn't in your feelings, the miracle's in your feet. Are you hearing me today? So the, the miracle's not in your feelings, it doesn't matter if you believe that God's going to fight for you, if you've got stillness in your soul and a peace that surpasses all understanding, or if you're afraid out of your, out of your mind. The miracle isn't in your feelings, it's in your feet when you say, I'm not staying here, I'm going through this thing. I'm going through this thing. God wants you to move. God wants you to move. But he won't take the wheel. Contrary to what you, Jesus take the wheel. Some of you are like, like I'm sorry, he ain't going to take your wheel. He's calling you to go through and move on. Look at Psalm 23. He says, even though, even though who walks? I walk. God ain't going to walk for you. He's telling you to step through. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, there's going to be some valleys I got to go through. There's going to be some darkness I got to go through. There's going to be some challenges, some obstacles, some barriers. I have to walk through those things. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going back. I'm going through. I'm going through. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you didn't take my feet and move them. You didn't take my will and steer me. You are with me. You're with me. I'm going to walk through this thing, and I'm trusting you are with me. In fact, you're preparing a table in the presence of my enemies. Don't go back. 
Don't turn back. Here, let me say it like this. Don't turn back. Turn your barrier into a breakthrough. See, uh, what you're up against, it's not what you think it is. You think that this is like impassable and impossible and stressing you out and a thing that needs to be removed from your life. It's not what you think it is. That barrier, God is going to use that to drown out the Egyptians, to drown out your past, that if you walk through this valley on the other side of this thing is your freedom. You need to shift your mind on this, man, because, because this barrier is not what you think it is. It's your breakthrough. You're on the border of your breakthrough, and the enemy is coming at you so hard, tempting you to come on back, come on back. Oh, no, you don't need to lead. Oh, no, you, you, don't, you don't need to do that. Oh, no, you, this isn't for you. You just come on back, glamorizing your past, and what you need to do is turn your barrier into a breakthrough. God has called you out. God has called you out of that stuff that you're fantasizing about again. That you're glamorous. God has called you out of bondage. You know why? Let me give you some reasons why God called you out of that stuff. Because you cannot heal in the same place that you were harmed. Why are you going back there? You can't heal there. He's called you out of there. You can't heal in the same place you were harmed. And you can't love yourself around the same people who made you doubt your self-worth. He called you out of that place. You can't rebuild yourself around those who tried to destroy you. You can't use the, the, the bricks as a foundation because it won't hold you together, and it never did. You can't speak up around those who tried to silence you. You can't find yourself around those who made you feel lost and abandoned and misunderstood. You can't revive your soul when you're surrounded by those who wrecked it. God called you out of that place. See, your environment is so much more important than you think. Your environment, where God called you, your environment, it determines what kind of life you're going to live, what kind of people you'll attract into your life, what kind of expectations and standards that you're going to set for yourself and others. God called you out to change you from the inside out, and you can't go back. You can't go back. He called you out to change you from the inside out. So what, how do we turn the barriers into a breakthrough? Let me give you a few. How do we do that? If we're going to turn, if, we're, if I can't go back, I can't. So how do we break through this thing? Let me give you. Number one. Number one. Y'all ready? Remember. Someone say remember. remember. You got to remember what God has done. Don't you remember who you used to be? Where you used to be? How broken you were? Don't you remember where God has brought you from? If you want to turn your barrier into a breakthrough, then you can never forget where, you're, where you came from. You can never forget what God has done. I love Psalm 106. This whole psalm is a psalm of the exiles, Israelites coming back into the promised land. And they kind of they go back to this Egypt experience. And it says, when our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And because of that, they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. They didn't remember God's miracle. They didn't remember the 10 plagues. They didn't remember how God spared their children. And it was the blood of the lamb that they put on their doorposts that the death angel passed over their house and only visited the Egyptians and every firstborn son of the Egyptians. They were all destroyed. They didn't remember all of his kindness. And, his, they, they, and because of that, write it down like this. If you don't remember, you'll eventually rebel. Okay, you'll eventually hit the barrier and you'll glamorize your past. If you don't remember, you will eventually rebel. You have to remind yourself and set up reminders for you and your family. You have to. 
you know, the, here's some, you know, some of the reminders. You know why we worship on Sunday? Sunday is a reminder. When, when, when we originally, the first church, you guys, they decided to worship God on Sunday because it's the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead. Sunday worship is a reminder of resurrection. That's what it is. When we say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be in God's house. That's you, man of God, father or woman of God. When you come to God's house, you're setting up a reminder for yourself and your children so they don't grow up and rebel. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Sunday worship. And, and that's where we get communion from, even. Communion is a reminder of the covenant of God that by his body and his blood that we were brought into new relationship based on grace through faith. That's the, that's the communion covenant. And by the way, we, we celebrated that just last Friday at night of worship. If you missed that, I am so sorry you missed that. Every night of worship, we have communion. Sometimes I get asked that question, by the way. Why, why don't we do communion on, on Sunday? Because we're trying to, let me, okay, commercial break. Let me just tell you why, okay? Well, not really, because it is a remembering thing, and it's important that we would remember. We're told that this, by Jesus, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So this is one of the remembrance tools that, that connects us to the covenant. And if we don't continue to remember, we'll eventually rebel. But I think if one of the apostles came into our modern-day services where we do communion the way we do communion now, they would flip their lid. Because it's just, I don't know if you realize this, it's so different now. The little cup and the plastic thing that's supposed to be bread. It's bread. It's like a wafer or something like that, but it's like, come on now. That's not bread, okay? At least not real bread. I'm not dem- dem- it's not even about that. It's about the, it's about the remembrance, right? It's about, it, what, what, about what it represents. But when they did communion in, in early church time, they did it in a home, at a table, with brothers, with sisters, and they had remembrance, man, and they thanked God, and they remembered his sacrifice, and they broke that bread, and they drank from that cup, and they fellowshiped and ate and feasted together. That's what communion looked like. So here at Discovery, we do communion every month at night of worship, and we do it in our small groups. A lot of our small groups will do those, and we give them tools on how to do communion in the small group because we want to get back to the purity of what communion is. But you should. You should be doing communion. It's, it's a tool for you to remember. God told the Israelites to create festivals and ceremonies. The whole reason, now we don't need to obey those today, we're not Jewish, you guys, but, but they, he created those because they were tools of remembering so they would not rebel. Like the Passover, the whole blood on the, the, the doorposts and, and, and the, the lamb and the, all that, and what we celebrate as, as you know, communion, that was the Passover. This is what God said in Exodus chapter 13, verse 9, and helping them set these, a lot of these ceremonies and festivals were because of their deliverance from Egypt. Here's what he told them. The observance of these ceremonies will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So you need to set up some reminders for yourself. Let me give you some ways we do it here at Discovery and the way the Hannes family does it. Because you need some. I don't know if you have some, but here's how we do it. Like, there's some reminder moments for us. We're leaning into August August and January, every August and January, we do 21 days of prayer. Those are anchor moments for us to seek God, for us to remember, for us to thank him. There is some stuff for the Hannah's home that we have in our home, moments of remembrance. So Thanksgiving for us isn't just a time of feasting. I don't know how you do Thanksgiving, but it's a time of remembering and thanking God. 
We get our kids around the table and we express gratitude and thanks for what God has done that year and where he has brought us from. And every one of us just talk and tell stories and our kids engage and we engage and we are just set. It's a marker for us. Every Thanksgiving, they know that we are going to tell stories and thank God for where he has brought us. Okay, it's it's just a moment of remembrance. Christmas for us is a moment of remembrance. I don't care if you're the Grinch in here, whether you like Christmas or not. You're like, it's a pagan holiday, Pastor. I don't know about that. Shut up. Get out of here with that. Christmas is glorious. I don't care what you say, okay? Look, look, and here's, it's not about that day. Some of you are really freaking out on me. Look, chill, 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 chill. It's not about that. It's, it's redeem that thing already. Don't act like be in the world and not of the world. So for us, what Christmas is for us and has always been for us, the Hanishom, it's an anchor of remembrance to remember the Savior who was born unto us. That it was joy for all people. And we get to retell that story with our kids and come back to the word of God and look at that. Again, it's just, it's just an anchor to remember so my kids don't rebel. That's what it is. And I'm not, I'm not worshiping the tree. Come on, shut up already about that, dude. I don't know where you can. Maybe you have different tools of remembrance, man, but I'm going to use whatever calendar. Like, let's do it. I'm going to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm going to redeem that thing. Amen? Oh, I don't have. Uh. Okay, so here, let me tell you something real quick, real quick. You know the Passover festival that the Israelites celebrated every year where they would kill the lamb and they would, they would eat together and they wouldn't break the bones Check this out. This is historical now, historical. The Canaanites actually had a similar worship practice of Baal, a pagan god. That was the exact same thing almost, that they would sacrifice an animal, they wouldn't break the bone, and they would have a feast, and they would have it at the, around the same time every year too, that God delivered them from Egypt. Isn't that crazy? And some people look at that that are atheists and go, look at that, man. That wasn't what God did. They just copied the Canaanite. That's just, they just copied that. That's not what happened. What happened in God's wisdom, God gave them a festival that redeemed and glorified him and would replace a pagan culture. Are you seeing that? So, so maybe it was. Maybe it was. I'll submit that. Maybe Christmas is pagan. Maybe it is. But my God has redeemed it. My house has redeemed it. We celebrate the birth of Jesus on that day, whether you like it or not. I don't care. Here's another one. Let me give you New Year's. New Year's is another one for us. It's an anchor. We get to reflect and, and what God has done and thank God and then look forward to greater things and believe God and plan for, for greater things. These are just in the hand of them. We just got some rhythms of remembering and thanking God so that my kids don't grow up and rebel, okay? Amen, somebody? Are you hearing me? You have to remember what God has done. And then number two, write this down. If you want to turn your barrier to breakthrough, you got to receive God's grace for your mistakes. you got to receive God's grace. Some of you are still holding on to the shame and the guilt. Maybe you've had, maybe that cycle thing has happened to you. Maybe you've gone back. Maybe you hit walls and you go back and you hit the barrier and you go back. And then it's just, you hit the dead end and you retreat back. And maybe you're just, you can't let that go and you can't forgive yourself. And you'll never be free until you receive God's grace for your mistakes. I love what Psalm 106 continues. Let me read like the next few verses. Let me reread this verse. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. But I love the next verse. Check this out. Yet he saved them anyway. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? 
Like, even though we messed up, even though I went back, even though I did the very thing I said I wasn't going to do anymore, even though, man, I did it again, I shouldn't have said that, even though, yet God saved them, not for your sake, but for his name's sake, to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the depths as through a desert. Hey, look, if you really, if you want to be free and stay free, if you want to pass through, if you want to go through this thing and turn your barrier into a breakthrough, then you got to receive God's grace. Let me say it like this. No matter how hard you try, you can't consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. So this is so important for you to receive God's grace because some of you have so much self-condemnation, the way you see yourself. You see yourself for your past, for your sins, for your Egypt, for your mistakes. You see yourself that way, and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because of the way you see yourself, not because of how God sees you. You cannot, you cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way you see yourself, which leads to number three. If you want to turn your barrier into a breakthrough, you got to renew your mind. You have to renew your mind and receive a new identity. To truly accomplish this, I think we need to name and identify how Egypt is still inside of us. I mean, there's still a little bit of Egypt in us. There's still a little bit of that slavery mindset, that bondage inside of us, and we need to allow God to do a work of renewing our mind and replacing the past with a new identity in Christ. Exodus chapter 16 tells us even after they went beyond the Red Sea, the Israelites again were still glamorizing their past. Look what it says. Even after the miracle of walking through the Red Sea, it says this, in the desert, the whole community of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, I'd rather be, oh, why'd you take us? Look what they say. They're glamorizing the past now. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. No, you didn't. You were being whipped and beaten in slavery. Are you kidding me? It wasn't how you think it was, and you know it wasn't. You're glamorizing the past because you don't like where you're at. But, we, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death, man. And why'd you do this? You got to renew your mind. Here, let me say it like this. Just because they were delivered from Egypt doesn't mean Egypt was delivered out of them. So, so yeah, you're not where you used to be, but you still got some of that inside of you that you need to identify. It took one day for the Hebrews to get out of Egypt, but it took 40 years for Egypt to get out of the Hebrews. Very, and 40 years is interesting because do you remember in part two where Moses killed that Egyptian? He got caught, and then he went to the desert of Midian. You know how long he was there in the desert of Midian? Do you remember? 40 years. Isn't that interesting that 40 years that God took them on this journey of wandering through the wilderness and he was leading them and trying to transform them from where they were and the slavery and the bondage to who he called them to be so that they could inherit a new, new promised land and be the people he's called them to be. And he's taking them on this journey, trying to lead them and change them. And, and the way he was doing it was very unique. He actually used some outward circumstances and outward things to try to show him and who he was. And, and let me show it to you. There was actually a few ways that God actually led the Israelites through the wilderness that he was attempting to transform them through this wilderness experience. Let me show you in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Here's one of the things that God used, an outward influence thing to, to change them. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down what? 
bread from heaven for you. And this is one of the reasons why the Israelites were complaining in that previous verse, because they were starving. They're like, man, we're starving here. So God's like, I'll give you bread from heaven. The people are going to eat, go out and eat each day and gather enough for that day. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Here's another thing that God did, just how he was leading them through the wilderness. Some of y'all remember this. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way by night and in a pillar of fire to give them the light so that they could travel by day or night. So let me ask you this. In order for a a pillar of cloud, like that was a thing like, like in the desert sun, it would just be above them and it, would, and it would go before them. In order for the cloud to move in the sky, what does it have to have? Wind. So you have wind and you have fire. Are you seeing the connection here to, to what this symbolizes for us? The wind and the fire is the, the representation of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what's the representation of the bread of heaven then? What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Man shall not live on, on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. See, God, in the Old Testament, he tried to lead and change the people into who he's called them to be, to get slavery out of them. Maybe it took 40 years to get that stuff out of them. But in Christ, in this new covenant we have, let me say it to you like this. God doesn't change you anymore through outward influences. Obey these rules, do this, try this, let me try to... No, God isn't changing you by outward influence, but through the inward transformation, through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. And what, what took them 40 years on the road to, to Damascus, Paul was instantly changed by a flash of light. He went from a Pharisee trying to kill uh, uh, Christians to the, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a journey, but I'm saying it's not going to come through outward influence. It's going to come by the inward transformation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Renew your mind. Receive a new identity. Don't turn back. You've got you to turn your barrier into a breakthrough. And let me, let me tell you with this last thought I want to I leave you with. Because you've got to break through. You guys, you don't, you don't lean through the barrier. You don't wander through the barrier. You don't, you don't walk even through the barrier. You break through the barrier. So write down this way. Number four, you got to get run through the barrier. Let me say it like God said it. Quit crying and move on. Move on. Quit crying about it. Quit, quit complaining about it. Quit complaining about them and what it used to be and what it isn't and why it took so long and there was a shorter route and why me. Quit crying about it and move on, God says. Run through the barrier. Don't ask God to move it away. Don't ask God to move them away. Go through, not around, not back. Go through. I love what 1 Samuel chapter 17, when David was being taunted by this Philistine giant named Goliath, and Goliath starts charging at him and moving at him closer. So a lot of people would run away, but David, look what happened. David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. He knew, David knew the principle, man. If I want to break through, I need some momentum. I don't, I'm not going to walk up to this guy. I'm not going to meander to this guy. If I'm going to break through this giant, I need some momentum on my side. I'm running through the barrier around not back don't go back i just feel like i was on prophetic assignment for some people to receive this word today not to go back some of you are trying to go back from your calling go back on your covenant go back on go back to old wineskin go back to your sin some things that you've even you've even glamorized it 
painted a pretty picture, then you know that was shackles. You know that God moved you out of that. He moved you. He drew, he drew you out to, to change you from the inside out. Let me show it to you. Exodus chapter 14. Some of you, if you have faith to receive this, this is what God's doing. Look at this. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the, lo the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind. Let me say this. The Lord is driving back the barrier you thought that was impo impassable and impossible. And he turned it into dry land. Next verse. They were divided, the waters. And the Israelites went through. God is calling you through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're calling me through this, not around this, not, not over this. You're, you're not calling me back. I'm going through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on the left. Don't go back. God's done too much. He's taking you too far for you to go back now.